Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight and faith building for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are continuing in this new message series during the season of Lent called Forgiveness, the Key to Everything. And this is really going to be a progressive journey, one step at a time, looking at the biblical teaching on forgiveness and reconciliation toward the restoration of relationship with God and relationship with one another. And we started on Ash Wednesday, and we talked here about conflict and the gospel. We moved through the weekend, and many of you were able to participate in our freedom prayer training, where uh, we spent a good deal of time learning how to apply these gospel truths to one another through prayer. Each Sunday, we're going to look at a different aspect of biblical teaching, and we're also going to be uh, diving in a little bit deeper in our four Lenten lunches over the next five Wednesdays in the gathering hall from new to one. So what the Lord is doing in this season of Lent is walking with us, walking beside us, holding us up, leading us forward, and what it means to uh, receive his love for us in Christ and receive the peace that we have with God through the cross of Christ, but also to turn and release that peace to one another and to imitate Jesus in how we uh, love and forgive and restore relationships with one another when we're experiencing conflict. So all of this is working together to help us align to Christ and grow in Christ's likeness um, as we respond to conflict in our lives. And I want to begin um, not by reading, but by just telling the story in John chapter 18, where uh, Jesus is experiencing conflict on the night that he's handed over to suffering and death. You remember the story. Jesus has been praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying for strength to do the Father's will. And as he finishes his prayer, he enters into the most significant conflict the world has ever known, the greatest conflict that has ever happened on the planet. And this was a terrible moment in Jesus' life. You remember his friend and disciple Judas, with whom he just spent three and a half years, led a detachment of soldiers and Jewish leaders to arrest Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, this was their place. This was where the disciples went and hung out and enjoyed fellowship with one another. And Judas sends an army. Like, does he not know Jesus? Y'all, there is nothing more painful than being betrayed, attacked from a trusted friend or a colleague, a spouse, someone that is significantly dear and close to us in our lives. But what we see here is uh, Jesus's response, which is exemplary. He stayed calm 
He refused to retaliate. And he exercised an extraordinary amount of humility and kindness and self-restraint. And he kept his disciples from attacking as well. So if you imagine this scene, if you remember this night, you know that the very authorities that should have been protecting Jesus seized him. They bound him. They interrogated him. They struck him. And ultimately, they murdered him. Jesus drank the cup that the Father had given him to drink. He did it in a posture of submission, with an attitude of surrender for God's glory and for the hope of the world. He didn't deny the conflict. He didn't run from the conflict. He didn't bow up and fight or smite anyone. He moved toward peace because that's who he is and that's what he does. He was unjustly bound, criticized, and condemned and he did so to pay the penalty for our sin. So that through faith in him, we would be set free and exonerated from anything that holds us back from a relationship with God here and now and for all eternity. And he, he did so so that we could have perfect peace with God, but not just that. He did so so that through him, following his example, with his love, we could experience perfect peace with one another. And this is where we pick up from our time together on Ash Wednesday. From our homes to our schools to our workplaces and churches, conflict consumes us. It overwhelms us. It is so draining and so distracting. And our natural approach to conflict is to focus on what someone's done to us. And that makes us respond in all sorts of unhealthy, unhelpful ways. It leads us to become defensive and critical, and it tends to make things worse. God's approach to conflict is to focus on what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And that leads God to continue to treat us with extraordinary mercy and unearned kindness. That's who God is. That's what he does. And God's gracious response to us when we were still sinners, when we were in enmity with him, when we were in rebellion and sin, God's response to us is his example for us to follow. It's what he calls and commands us to do, to love one another in the midst of conflict in the same way that he loves us through Christ. And this morning, I want to I look at some practical steps that we can take to help us imitate Jesus and love like Jesus in the midst of conflict. 
Um, but first, I, I want to just pause and I'm going to give you a moment to consider a real relational conflict that you're struggling with right now. Like, let's not just be hearers of the word. Let's actually put this into practice, right? If, if you're comfortable closing your eyes, you're welcome to do so. If you're not, you don't have to do so. Some of you are so freaked out that we're sitting around, your eyes have been closed the whole time. So you can just keep them closed. But I want to encourage you to think about a conflict that you have with someone and try and picture their face. What's their facial expression? Are they happy, sad, angry? And when you imagine them, what thoughts are entering your mind? What feelings do you experience? All right, hold on to that person in your imagination as we walk through this. You can open your eyes if you want. You don't have to. But there are three basic ways that people tend to respond to conflict. They try to escape, they try to attack, or they try and make peace. Okay? When we choose to uh, escape or attack or make peace, we are responding to the difficulties, to the relational strain that's around us. And these three responses, right, escaping, attacking, and peacemaking, can be illustrated by a rolling log. A rolling log that needs to be crossed. Now, turn to someone to your left or right and say, did he just say rolling log? Yes. Yes, rolling log. This, this image has been so helpful to me, and I hope it's helpful to you. I want it to seep in uh, and penetrate your heart. A rolling log. Anybody ever seen uh, American Ninja's Warrior? Yes. yes. The rolling log? Mmm. When you, when you cross a rolling log, the idea is to keep sure footing, keep moving, and keep from going too far to the left or too far to the right because you're going to fall off. And if you stop moving, it's easy to lose your balance. And if you lean too far to one side or too far to the other, uh, you're going to lose it. The rolling log. Here's what the rolling log looks like up close. The same is true when we're navigating through conflict. This is a cross-section of the rolling log that we cross over as we pursue forgiveness and reconciliation and the restoration of a relationship. On the left side of the log, we find escape responses. Escape responses to conflict. On the right side of the log, we find attack responses to conflict. And the farther you go to one side or the other, the faster you're going to slip and fall. But right there at the center, that nice white wedge right there, at the top of the rolling log, we find the peacemaking responses. And that's our goal, to stay on top of the rolling log because that's the surest way to forgiveness and reconciliation and peace. So I want to look at each one of these responses. But before I do, do you still have that person in mind? I want to encourage you 
to keep that person you're in conflict with, keep them in mind as we walk through these different responses. Because going through these different responses um, in a prayerful mode with a real person in mind can really help you know the Lord and grow in how you can love that person as Christ loves you. So let's look at um, the first side of that log, the escape response. Some people get all apocalyptic about conflict, right? Like we see conflict as like this dangerous hazard that threatens to sweep us off our feet and swamp our life. Like it scares us, we're afraid. And we, we want to get it out of the way. But when we do, it means deep down that we're more interested in avoiding the conflict than resolving it. And there are a few tactics, but usually two tactics that we employ to escape. I want to talk about those two. When uh, a couple years ago, when uh, a group of us was uh, going on a mission trip to Tanzania, we were flying from Amsterdam to Rwanda, and the sun was coming up, and I looked out my window, and I saw the coolest sight in the world, but it wasn't light enough yet to take a picture. So I took this picture uh, of the TV monitor on the seat back in front of me of the trajectory of the plane. So this is exactly where we were. Do you see where we are? Do you see that little line down there that the plane's over? Do you know what that is? That's the Nile River. And I've been waiting two and a half years to say this. I knew at some point that we were going to have an opportunity uh, to talk together about forgiveness. I've been waiting two and a half years to say this. That's why I took this picture. Denial isn't just a river. <laughs> at least it was worth it to me. <laughs> One of the ways that we attempt to escape conflict is through denial, pretending that it doesn't exist. When we deny the problem, what we're doing is we're running away from the problem. We're refusing to do what needs to be done for multiple reasons, but we're not engaging in a manner that we need to engage to bring about a real helpful and healthy solution. There's all sorts of ways that we do this. We might appease and placate in an attempt to smooth over a, a disagreement or diffuse the relational situation. But y'all, smiles alone don't provide solutions. If, I, if I'm trying to make things look good, even when they're not, I'm peace faking, not peacemaking. And peace faking happens when I care more about the appearance of peace than the reality of peace. Can you think of a time when someone attempted to escape conflict with you by denying that anything was wrong? Can you think of a time that you were so troubled by a relational conflict that you were in that you just wanted to go away so you pretended it didn't exist? That's denial. Another way to escape is flight. 
just running away, flying away, right? It could be leaving the house or abandoning a friendship uh, or quitting a job. Uh, with the escape response of flight, we're usually looking for what is easy and conven convenient and as pain-free as possible because um, in our natural broken self, that's how we roll. Now, I want to be really clear. Flight is not always bad, okay? Especially when we're in danger, right? So this, what I'm saying is, does not include when we're in danger. If you're in danger of physical abuse or emotional abuse or spiritual abuse, you need to flee. But otherwise... Running away from the relationship, running away from engaging the conflict is almost always a harmful way to respond to conflict. Now, again, I just want to be clear on this. Sometimes we do need, it's really appropriate and healthy, we do need to temporarily withdraw from a confusing or an emotionally charged situation. Sometimes we need just to pause Take a deep breath, calm down, pray, get some counsel of a trusted friend, sort through the good and the bad so that we can get on top of that log and stay on top of that log. But, but when we do, when we do take a pause, when we do take a time out, it's always important to come back. That's the difference. Giving up, running away, abandoning the relationship only delays the solution and oftentimes makes it worse. So escaping through denial, through flight, is peace faking, okay? So skip the river, skip the flight. It's not going to lead to your peace or freedom. Not with God, not with those you care about. Okay, on uh, the right side of the log, we find attack responses, okay? Attack responses. You remember these guys? Huh? Hans and Franz, we come to... Yeah, you do remember them. When it comes to conflict, some of us get really pumped up, right? We get all Hans and Franz. We see conflict as a problem to be conquered with force and with power, even if we hurt somebody else in the process. So we, we bow up and we flex and we attempt to knock out the other person, especially before they knock us out. We attack. And when we attack the other person, we're more interested in winning the conflict than preserving the relationship or preserving the unity that we have, or winning that person to Christ. There are two uh, primary ways that we attack, uh, and the first attack tactic is assault. Assault. It could be with physical force, it could be with critical words, it could be trying to damage somebody financially or professionally. We assault by bullying, 
manipulating, withholding, and intimidating. We assault through gossip and slander and insults and backbiting and condescension. Assault is neither like God nor who we truly are in Christ. And it's not helpful. It makes things worse. The second attack tactic is litigation. Now, I don't know how many of you have been through civil litigation, but it is one of the most brutal ways that we can attack someone or be attacked by someone. And that's why Christians are commanded to settle our differences within the church rather than the civil courts. Paul goes into great detail on this in 1 Corinthians 6. Okay, so whether it's assault or litigation or some other kind of attack response, attacking is peace-breaking. Peace-breaking. It's not helpful. I love what St. John Chrysostom says sometime around the turn of the 4th century. He says, we are commanded to have only one enemy, the devil. With him, never be reconciled. But with a brother or sister, never be at enemy, enmity in thy heart. I really love that. I actually like that whole sermon that that comes from. So just to sum up, in conflict, we all have a natural tendency to either escape or attack. Which should pause for just a second. Which side of the rolling log do you lean toward most? How many times has an escape or an attack response helped you love someone in a manner that's consistent with the love of God in Christ? There's a better way, and it's the Jesus way. In John chapter 1, we read that Jesus comes full of truth and full of grace. And by doing so, he demonstrates the fullness of perfect love. The perfect love of God is demonstrated in the person and ministry of Jesus Christ, who even when we were in conflict with God and rebellion against God, saying and doing all things to deny it or to attack God, Christ died for us. And being a peacemaker means bringing Jesus into the center of that relationship and imitating him, no matter how difficult or strained that relationship might be. Being disciples of Jesus means being full of truth and grace and the love of God in Christ that overflows from our lives into the lives of of those around us. As disciples, we're meant to see conflict as an opportunity to forgive one another, to mend broken relationships, to solve problems, to work out a positive way forward, and all along to become more like Jesus. That's how we stay on top of the rolling log. 
Only peacemaking actually resolves conflict. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. They'll look and act like their father in heaven. They'll look and act like their brother Jesus. So whatever we do as peacemakers, with God's help, employing the Holy Spirit to come and guide us and give us strength and make us more and more like Christ, we work to cross over that log, even if we have to get down and hug it and army crawl across it. We do whatever it takes with God's help to live in to Jesus's commandment to love as he loves us. I want to conclude with this image. Crossing the rolling log of forgiveness and reconciliation is kind of like going to a spiritual chiropractor. I am so bent out of shape toward me and my self-absorption and what I want and so misaligned with Jesus and his will and his pattern and goodness and power in my life that it really hurts when the Spirit of God starts straightening me up. For my good, for God's glory, for Christ in me and Christ through me, but what else am I going to do? It's not enough for us just to have good theology. We need to live this out. It's not enough for us just to know Jesus and keep him to ourselves when he has the power and the desire to not only change our lives, but to make all of our relationships better, just as he has done for us. And that's how the Holy Spirit conforms us to the image and likeness of Christ through conflict. It's one of the most powerful ways that the Spirit of God makes us more like the Son of God for the glory of the Father of God. It's how the Holy Spirit sanctifies us and remakes us to be who we truly are in the image and likeness of Christ. So the discomfort, right, while not enjoyable at all, is a really important aspect of what Jesus is doing to redeem our lives, to transform our lives, and to, to represent his truth and his grace and his love to all those around us. So um, I want to invite the prayer teams to go ahead and take their place. And, uh, and as they do, I want to invite you to a time of prayer. I want to encourage you to take advantage of these trained prayer and healing teams um, or take advantage of three or four worship songs just to be still, to know the presence and love of God and just have a conversation with the Lord in your heart. So whether you talk to the Lord with the help of a prayer team or whether you talk to the Lord just quietly in your seat, I want to encourage you to specifically ask Jesus four questions this morning. Jesus, 
why am I in the conflict that I'm in? What might he say to you this morning? Jesus, how do you see this conflict? How might that be helpful to you? Jesus, which side of that rolling log am I leaning toward? Because Jesus' promise is that he's going to reach out a hand and pick you up and put you right back on the center. Jesus, how can I love like you in this relationship? Remember, Jesus says this, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So ask the Lord Jesus for more of his love, for more of his forgiveness, because it's the key to everything.